Today's the third of my series on crossing the line. Um, so this is a series we're doing about laying the foundations and stepping into the, that kind of God zone out of our zone, stepping into the God zone of life so we, we can grasp all that God asks for us. So it's about the foundations that we put underneath us. And uh, today we're going to be talking about um, the truth, uh, the ability to walk in truth. Anybody know this character? It's Pinocchio. For those that don't know the story of Pinocchio, Pinocchio, whenever he tells a lie, his nose gets larger. Wouldn't it be helpful if we lived in a world where when people lied to you, their noses physically grew larger? It would be so, so helpful, wouldn't it? If you were a school teacher, disciplining your kids, who threw that? Who broke the window? If you were a parent, who ate the last custard cream? And their noses would grow. Dads would have such long noses at that point, wouldn't they? It would just be so helpful, but that's not the case. But we're going to be looking at the ability to walk in truth so we have real connections. Is that thing about soberly judging ourselves, being aware of ourselves, putting foundations under us so we can seek our identity in Christ. That's what we're going to be looking at in this series called Crossing the Line. We're laying foundations. The first foundation we looked at the other week after the introduction was authentic connections. So today is truth, walking in the truth. So I want to talk about truth today. Truth today. What an unusual phrase to use. The truth Today, there is a flexibleness about truth today. It seems to be a way of life for many people to be flexible with the truth. I want to ask you a question. Has anybody here ever been caught out not telling the truth? That was a polite way of saying, have you been caught lying? Obviously not since I was a tiny boy. A recent survey for a book... And a, a, an article, I shall not name the book, but it found these, these details. These were shocking. And the survey found that 91% of those people surveyed lied routinely about trivial things. 91% of people lie about trivial things on a routine day-to-day basis. In other words, people are fundamentally dishonest. It said that 36% of people lie about important matters, like when they're applying for loans and things. 36% of people are lying about important matters. It said 86% of people have lied to their parents. (gasps) Only 86%? I was shocked as well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 86% 86% told the truth about lying to parents and 14% lied about lying to parents. 75% of people lied to their friends. How dare you? What are you not telling me? 73 we might be hurting, might be saving my feelings, keep lying. 73% have lied to their brother or sister. I, I, no, I can't believe that you would ever do that to each other. get this one, 69% of people lie to their partner, their spouse. Put your hand up now if you lie to your partner. Lies of omission do count. We don't like to use the word lie, do we? But we'd, we'd rather to prefer to use other phrases. Truth is a nice word. Lie's not a very good one. When we hear things like that, it makes us feel really quite uncomfortable. 
when we hear words like lies, so we don't like using the word lies, but when we discover that people are fundamentally being dishonest with each other for no apparent reason, um, embellishing or exaggerating, who's on Facebook? You all lie. Because nobody's life is that good. Alternatively, nobody's life is that bad. And trouble is, when we're not being truthful all the time, when we know we're surrounded by interpretations of the truth, it makes us really doubtful about everything. Doubt creeps into our lives, so we become suspicious of everything. And I think we live in a world now where we're really doubtful. We doubt everything. We don't like using words like lies. We prefer to use things like omitting some of the truth that one of our leaders used at the back there. Does omitting the truth count? Yes, it does. It's called lies. Lies by omission. We like to use phrases like being economical with the truth. Anybody heard that phrase, being economical with the truth? What about this is is the one that I'm loving when I watch political programs these days it's the truth as I see it (laughs) what's that? the truth as I see it well there's my truth and there's your truth that's another one I don't get the other one I particularly like is this is my positive interpretation of the facts there are somebody does that a lot, I won't say who, uses alternative facts these days. We prefer to say things like, we don't like saying that we lie, we prefer to say things like we fib. Anybody ever told a fib? Go on, be honest. But you, right, you just lied. Okay, you were lying. No nice way around it. I've just watched an entire series, of, a three-hour programme called The Fibs That Built America all the mythology that's been built up about American history. And basically, they didn't like to say the lies. So they said the fibs, the propaganda, the unreality. Guys, we live in a time where people are doubting all sorts of things because nobody's quite sure what the truth is anymore. Uh, and you've only got to look at our political situations. And it's, it, uh, this is a sermon, so I won't even use the word Brexit. Okay? I won't say Donald Trump, and I won't say Putin, and I won't say anything like that, the European Union, nothing like that. But what I will say to you is, all of those things help us to understand that there's a lot of insecurity and doubt about. I'm not taking sides on any of that. I'm simply saying nobody quite knows what the truth is. And it makes people doubtful and sceptical and fearful. And we don't want to be people that walk in doubt. All this creates a culture of doubt. But John, in John's Gospel, he tells us that the truth shall set us free. The truth shall set us free. So we want to be people that walk in truth. So what Hope House needs to represent is the truth. What you guys need to represent, what we together need to be, are people that are seeking to walk in God's truth. Because thankfully, God doesn't lie. God doesn't lie. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth is found in 1 John chapter 1. Let me read this to you. Hope you can see that. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father, um, and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Now fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. 
truths bringing joy. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all righteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us because his word is truth. Isn't that powerful? Just, just think on that. Go back and read that in your own time. It's massively powerful stuff. Here are a group of people, and what they're saying is, listen to this truth. We are living this truth. Love this truth. Listen to it. Live it. Love it. They've experienced Christ. They've carried the message of Christ. They've seen other people listen to it and receive it. They've learned to love it, and it's been transformational. And the truth is actually not just set them free. It's brought joy. It's brought joy to the center of their lives. Who wouldn't want that? You can hear in those verses when you read it, you really what you need is a great actor and orator to stand here and read out those verses because they're filled with passion. They're filled with enthusiasm and energy and speed and drive. There is nothing in these verses that is saying, be doubtful. It's saying this is the truth. And that truth overrides people's skepticism. It overrides people's doubt and it brings life and joy. And um, you know because I'm speaking that I've got to take every opportunity to bring a marathon example into this, haven't I? Got to have a marathon story. Some people have football stories, I have marathon running stories. Got three marathons coming up in April. Yay! I'll be dead come March, April, May, come May. I'll be unconscious in May. See, I'm nearly dying in March considering it. This is a marathon example I'm going to squeeze into my sermon. Several hundred years before Jesus Christ, the Greeks were fighting the Persians on a certain plane called... Well done, you don't have to say it with such doubt. Marathon, well done, you knew, you're historically accurate. The battle raged on for hours. It was a fight to the death, effectively. Um, and the, the, the numerically inferior Greeks fought and fought and fought, and they had a, a tremendous tactical win. They beat the Persian invasion army. The trouble was, miles and miles and miles and miles away, the Senate... They were deciding what to do. They assumed the army would be defeated. They assumed that there couldn't be victory. They assumed that they couldn't win. So they were about to take a vote on how they could kind of appease their enemy and sue for peace and surrender. Knowing that this would happen, the generals that had just won this amazing mark got this young guy in his full set of armour and said, you better run to Athens and tell them not to vote to surrender because we've just won. So this poor guy with his full armour runs all the way and he creates the first marathon, and he tells them the truth, and the truth sets them free. That's a very practical example of somebody gave his life, and he ran that distance, and he told them the truth, because they had lived in doubt, and he shattered their doubt. And the one word he spoke before he died was victory. He said, victory. I had a heart attack and died. <laughs> I'm going to try not to do that. <laughs> But the truth transformed the situation from one of defeat to one of victory. God tells us truth. And he allows us to put away our doubts. The truth of Christ destroys doubt in our lives. Because those things are not part of God. And I, I know people, I, 
I'm, I really get that when I'm talking to, to friends or family or neighbours, that they just think, Paul, you're insane. Clearly you're insane. You believe this stuff. Yeah, I do. Doubt has been, doubt has been dealt with. It's been pushed to one side because the truth of Jesus Christ has become so real. When I read the scripture, it is so real. When, it, when you read it and pray before the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me as I read this? This word of God becomes so real, becomes so tangible. Our lives, my life no longer feels like this, this short journey. My life suddenly feels part of eternity because of what God has done, because of who he's called us into being. And he, he calls that into your life too. He calls eternity into your life. We call it your kingdom come. Call it salvation becoming a Christian. We can stand on truth and live by faith. And church, I want to encourage you. One of the, the, one of the God zones is when we learn to live just in the truth. When our lives don't become lives of, of omission or exaggeration or a distortion, but simply of a God truth. It's really important that we learn to live in that truth so we can stand on truth, live by faith, believe and be excited about what God is doing and will continue to do in your life and the life of this church. Listen, it's like this. We need to listen to it, to live it, and to love it. Philippians says this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership with the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that is true. He will complete it. Does anybody here feel complete yet? Anybody here feel like the finished article? Anybody here feel completely sorted? Anybody here ever felt like, I've got it, I'm just about there, it's working. Oh no, I've got it wrong. Has anybody ever done that? To give you a marathon analogy. So I'm back into training. And I'm really on it. And the fat's coming off. And I'm doing really good. And my Achilles tendon's gone. And I've still got to train. And so I'm like, uh, uh. So Julie, jealous, has dislocated her shoulder because she's so jealous of me being centre of attention. So just when I'm obbling around the house, gleaning sympathy from my kids, I'm so jealous. (laughs) There are those times when we think our walking God is going just right. And then you trip up and you tear a tendon or you rip your arm out. You think, it was going so well. But here's the thing in God. He's not finished yet. You are being completed. The life and the training and the journey, the adventure continues. I get so sad when people beat themselves up. People that love the Lord and they get it wrong for a while or they stop discovering scripture or they, they stop praying or they walk away a bit and they think, that's it, I'm a rubbish Christian, I'm done. No, 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 no. You're still being completed. You're still a work in progress. Can you just ease off on yourself a little bit? Because you are so much more judgmental over your own life than God is over your life. Because God's desire is to complete you, to to, to heal you, to forgive you, to transform you, to lift you up. And he knows you get it wrong. And he doesn't want you to get it wrong. But here's the thing, he's not finished yet. He loved you so completely that he gave everything and he continues to give everything. And we need to walk in that kind of truth because that kind of truth sets us free. And that's the kind of truth our world needs to hear. One that is committed and is permanent and that is real, that is passionate, that is filled with the love of God. Not one that goes into the world to judge it, but one that goes in the world to save it, 
to redeem it, to have compassion on it. You know, Scripture says that Christ did not come to condemn, but to save. Let's be the kind of church, the kind of Christians that walk in the truth of Jesus Christ, that walk in that understanding that we've not come to condemn, but to see salvation. That's our good news story. Are you with me on that? That's our good news story. You know, the church for generations has always been known, and I know this is a hobby horse of mine, everybody knows what the church is against. Everybody knows what offends the church. Everybody knows what upsets the church. But here's the deal. Let's make sure people know who the church loves and who the church are loved by and who loves this world and is committed passionately to this world because our Lord came to save the world for God so loved. Let's be the kind of people that look in our town, look in our neighbours, no matter what the lifestyle, no matter what the history, no matter what the background, no matter what they've done, no matter what they're into, no matter what their hobbies, no matter what their weird passions are. Let's be, let's be the kind of people that understand the love of Christ and the transformation, because here's the great thing. When people become Christians, they become new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. Church, we need to be people that walk in that newness. We need to own that newness for ourselves or we'll never carry it out there. How many people here have unfinished projects at home? Oh, go on. How many people here have more than one unfinished project at home? How many, it's a lot of fellas with hands up here, I've got to say, not exclusively so, but there's an awful lot of them. How many people have said they're going to finish it soon? How many people said soon over a year ago? Over 18 months ago, over two years, over three, over four, over five. <laughs> We've got one hand still up, over six. <laughs> At some point in the dim and distant history, you remember saying you get round to it. We're all unfinished projects. God's still working on us. This morning, my real topic isn't just truth, but the truth is that we are being worked on, that we are a project, that God is building us and transforming us. And we need to own that, that God is going to finish what he has started in you. and That's the truth. This truth also applies to Hope House Church. God isn't done with us yet. And that really excites me. Because people come to me and say, oh, your church does this and your church does that. Your church is getting this wrong, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Because if we weren't getting anything wrong... We'd be perfect. And if we got it all completely right, everything was completely wonderful, here's the deal, Jesus would have already come back. So it it fascinates me. Somebody was on on Facebook the other night saying, churches should do this. All churches should do that. Yeah, probably all churches should. But we're not doing it yet, but we're doing our best. But we do do an awful lot. But we're a work in progress too. And this church is full of people who are all individually works of process. Isn't it wonderful to look around this room, see the different levels of experience, the different backgrounds, the different histories, the different experiences, the different levels of completion. Some are good at this, some are good at that. Some are broken through into this area. Some find it easy to pray, some find it hard to pray. Some find it easy to read. Some people find it hard just to get out of bed. Some people find it hard to go to bed. Some people find it hard to do all different things. We have different levels of gifting and different skills. Some people can find a prophetic word in their heart so simply. Some people wrestle with that stuff. 
you know, we're all gifted in so many different ways. We're all being mended and grown and built and released in different ways. But the truth is God is not finished yet. And God has purpose for us. God has purpose for us. And you look across the church, you're right across this town. And I've got to tell you, the church in Barnsley is special. Wow, it's special in so many ways. And I use that word special in multiple ways. It's special because it belongs to God. It's special because, it, it, wow, it, it's a working under construction. But here's the deal, it's the bride of Christ. And you know what really excites me when I look across our town? That Christ is going to come back for a bride, for his church, that is spotless and without blemish. What excites me, there are going to be some amazing churches across this town. And we're going to be one of them. There are going to be some amazing Methodist churches that like, forget about being called Methodists. They're just going to be the bride of Christ, reaching their communities. There are some great Anglican churches, some great Catholic churches, and whatever else churches, and Hope House churches. And we're going to find that place in God of such maturity and unity that it will be a beautiful and glorious thing. Yeah. You know, that will happen, don't you? I know that's probably the hardest thing I've ever said in my life to try and get people to believe. It's amazing how people can believe in God, they can believe in aliens, they can believe in Jesus coming back, they can believe that the, you know, I'm going to win the lottery, they can believe in anything. But believing in the church is going to be a complete, beautiful, wonderful bride. Somehow it's hard because we know each other. But listen to this. There will be a beautiful, complete bride of Christ. And we're part of it. So celebrate it. Pray for it. Reach out for it. That's the truth. I'm convinced when we take this to heart, when we really listen to what God says about us in his word, we'll begin to be overwhelmed by his love and we'll begin to see ourselves in his light and we'll find it hard to be down on ourselves anymore because the church is a wonderful, remarkable, special thing and we need to celebrate what church is, whatever it looks like, whatever it is. We need to celebrate that. What God has started in us, we need to listen to it, to live it, and to love it. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he also, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? When somebody has given their all to the point of death, there's nothing else to hold back. So everything else is available to us. Everything else is available to us in God. That's, that's what being a Christian is. And it blows my mind, but it's the truth that we've got to learn to get hold of. You know, so when we do meet to pray on Thursday evening for an hour or so, we need to stand in that truth, that when we come together, it's not a case of coming together to try and kill an hour because it's the right thing to do. It's coming together to speak with God, to speak with one another, knowing that he won't all back things from us, that he wants to build us and to grow us and to move us on. It's coming to church on a Sunday morning, gathering. The scripture says to gather, to build one another up towards works and service, towards unity. Knowing that when we come together on a Sunday morning, what are we doing? We're coming out of habit. We've come for nice coffee because we serve great coffee if you're a visitor. It's proper high-end, nice ground coffee. None of that out of a jar tat because God doesn't have that in heaven. Why should we have it on earth? All right? It's true. We don't come for those things. We come to be built up because God is doing a work amongst us. All of that other stuff. Um, having a moderately warmish kind of building-ish this morning. Having great coffee. All of those things are superfluous. Having nice coffee. That's, no, 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 no. We're the body of Christ being built up. If you're not a Christian this morning, I've got to tell you there's nothing more amazing than discovering that you're part of the body of Christ by committing and giving your life to become a Christian. It is the most amazing thing. 
Because the best thing is, nobody's saying to you, oh, now you're good enough, you can become a Christian. Effectively, what we're saying is, oh, look, you've discovered you messed up just like us, but God loves you anyway, and he's got a project called you that he loves completely, and he wants to transform you and build you and rebuild your life, and it might take the rest of your life, but he loves you enough to stick it out with you. That's what being a Christian, how amazing is that? That's good news. Do you know that God rejoices because you're his, even though you need finishing? Just get hold of that. Did you know that God rejoices? Put your hand up if you became a Christian at some point in your life, in, the, in, the, in history. Yeah, I did. I just want to say to you, you know that point when you became a Christian? Boy, your life was a mess. You know it was a mess. That's why you became a Christian. Oh, Lord, I'm, I, I need more than this. Every one of us, somewhere, part of it was being, I need more than what this is. I need what God is. So you weren't completed. You didn't know everything about him. You weren't finished. You weren't the perfect Christian. And yet, Scripture tells me that heaven rejoices when you give your life to him. He rejoiced in you, even though you weren't a done deal. Wow. Listen to it. Live it. And learn to love it. Then you can carry that truth. Where's the truth in this foundation living? God will finish what he started in you. But you must remember that God is the one working in you. God is the one working in you. It's not your project. You can't produce what only God can give. Get hold of that. You can't produce what only God can give. What we can do is be available to him to learn and to grow. Only Jesus through his Holy Spirit can produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Because that's the character of Christ. Through so places in us, through his Holy Spirit, a work of the Holy Spirit, renewing who you are. I like that list of the fruit of the Spirit because periodically I have them all, just never at the same time. I have never once, I've actually, I've tried to assess sometimes looking back over a week, right, which of the fruit of the Spirit have I expressed this week? And I can honestly say at some point in every single week, every one of them, but there are a number of occasions where I needed to express every one of them at the same time, and I have never achieved that yet. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But Lord, I'm, I'm headed there in the strength of Christ. He says it all when he says, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus gets who he is, and he speaks that fullness into us. We like to keep, keep score, though, don't we? I like to keep score. I like to keep account. I like to, oh, this week I was patient three times. I was loving four times. I self-controlled in numerous occasions. I spent my life in self-control. But the minute I'm doing self-control, I'm probably not doing love. I'm just doing biting my tongue, which then I realize is a different thing to self-control. Actually, I've stopped loving, and it's not self-control. It's just like, just inward, out of control. We try to find winners and losers, and we, we score ourselves as winners or losers. But I want to tell you, scoring yourself in Christ as a winner or a loser, that's an alternative fact. That's a lie of the devil. We belong to Christ. And there is not a person walking this planet today that can't belong to Christ. Because his love is sufficient for every one of them. And he can bring his truth into every one of them. We bring this whole 
idea into our relationships and our relationships with God that we can score, that there are things we can get right, things we get wrong. We've got a scorecard and a, and a report card. It's not true. We're just loved. We rate ourselves in relationships based on many things, our outward, appearance, our outward appearances. We compare ourselves to others. We look at worldly possessions. All kinds of things get involved. We create alternative facts. But the God truth is this. When the Father sees you, he's not looking at your school report. He's not looking at your work record. He's not looking at your workload. He's not looking at your pay slips. He's looking at your heart and asking, do you love me? Yeah. That's the big deal. Have you got a relationship with me? That's the beginning and end of it. When God sees us, if we're Christians, he sees a life that is being covered by his, clothed in his. His son's blood covers us, transforms us. He sees a person living for him. Our responsibility is to keep growing in him and to not stop growing in him. To be disciples, we need to listen to his word, we need to live it and we need to love it. I believe that God is raising up up our church for a specific reason. I really do. I'm not altogether worked out what it is yet, but I know it will involve making Jesus famous because that's what we're called to do, to go into all the world and talk Jesus and make disciples. So whatever it uniquely looks like for a Hope House church will be different to Gateway Church. Gateway Church down the road is an amazing church. Emmanuel Church down the road is a brilliant church. There's a Catholic church back up here that's now filling with uh, Polish immigrants come to country that are being catholic and and the Lord... Bless them, how amazing is that? But they're all different to us because God has got a unique call on this hand that we call Hope House Church and on the hand that we call Emmanuel Church and on the foot that we call whichever church it is. But God has something unique for us. But in the meantime, what can we do? We can make the name of Jesus famous in our lives. So then, we don't get down and doubt. We just get ready. And we go. Yeah. This morning I'm challenging you in your own spiritual life and in the church. You don't need to know and believe that God is not done working in you. You need to know that he is working in you. That he is working in you. He's going to complete you. What he has started in you, it will finish. That's what he's doing in our church. So I'm asking you to be courageous. To put away your doubts this morning. I'm going to ask the band to come back up if you would. I'm going to ask you to put away your fears. I'm going to ask you to put away all those things that say that you're inadequate. That you're not good enough. Because all of those things are alternative facts. They're not God's truth. Stand in truth. Live by faith. Believe and be excited about what God is doing and will continue to do in our community of faith here. Because he brings us together to build each other up. So that tomorrow morning when we go out, this afternoon when we go out, when half of you disappear to Morrison's to do your shopping, or whatever it is you're about to do when you leave this place, that you carry Christ. You, uniquely, carry Christ in a way that only you can. Do you understand that? Nobody can carry Christ in the way that you do. God has uniquely appointed you and chosen you. To stand in truth, to live by faith, to believe and be excited about what God is doing and will continue to do in your life. If we hold that, if we go with that, we don't go with doubt. We don't carry doubt into people's lives, but we go with truth and with faith so that others can listen and can live it and love it.
that's our Monday morning calling. And I just want to finish by reading a prayer of commitment. This is a prayer of commitment. I want you to remind you of, of this prayer that people, people read when they become a Christian or say out loud some form of this when they make a Christian commitment for the first time. We just want to remind ourselves of the prayer that we made when we became Christians. When we lived in that place where we were doubting, we were struggling, we were asking questions. But we made this commitment. And it might be this morning, I don't know everybody in this room, maybe this morning you're not a Christian. So as I read this prayer, you can think this prayer through in your mind, in your heart. You can be saying it inside and say amen with me at the end. And it is as simple as that to make a connection with the Lord, to become a Christian. It is that simple. You don't have to be perfect. You just need a point to begin at. And this prayer, this connecting with Jesus, gives you a point to begin at, to begin again with. And then come and talk to us, because then we can explain to you. We can chat something in our connections corner. We can chat to you and talk to you about what it is to be a Christian. And we can help and support you in being part of his family. And this is the prayer. Why don't we all just stand, if you physically can, if you want to, be able, be good to stand together before we just close with worship. And I'd just like to read this prayer this morning. Because there was a moment where every one of us here, who is a Christian in this room, we got it. One moment in time, we got it, and I gave our lives to him. And it's changed our lives forever. And these are the kind of words we prayed. Lord Jesus... I know I've done things wrong in my thoughts and words and actions. There are so many good things I've not done. There are so many wrong things I have done. I'm sorry for those wrong things and turn from everything I know to be bad. You gave your life for me on a cross and gratefully I give my life back to you. Now I ask you to come into my life. Come in as my saviour to clean me. Come in as my Lord to lead me. And I will serve you all the remaining days of my life. Amen. You know, when we took communion and we pray a prayer like that, we begin again. This morning we can begin again. We can be in that place where only God, only God, tells us the truth and takes us forward and gives us eternity. And we get to carry that eternity out, that truth out this morning from this place. That can be you today.